probably if you're an Englishman, you don't like it at all. But on November the 11th uh, last year, uh, New Zealand played the T20 World Cup semi-final at the Sheikh Zayed Cricket Stadium in Abu Dhabi. I just secured a month's worth of Sky Sport TV on my iPhone. And I got up early on the Friday morning because it was my day off and I watched the whole game. England were very much favoured to win the whole tournament and so we were really up against it. But due to the most brilliant innings of 72 of 47 balls, Daryl Mitchell, who you can see up there striking the ball, was very much the star of a New Zealand win. That day, he had made a new start. He'd never opened the batting before, but they put him in as the opener. And coach Gary Stead said this, he's got a lot of really strong attributes that we like. We love his competitiveness and the way that he takes on teams. He played with such patience competitiveness and courage and skill. It was an admirable innings. But what struck me most was a man in the crowd that the camera kept focusing on. I thought I recognized him. I'd seen him somewhere before. The cameraman kept bringing into view this man. Whenever Daryl Mitchell hit a four or a six, up came this face. And I wasn't sure who it was until eventually the commentator said this, and there's Daryl Mitchell's proud father, John Mitchell, in the crowd giving his support. Now, John Mitchell, if you don't know, is a very famous New Zealand rugby player. He was an all-black coach, and he's presently a real deserter. He's coaching part of the English team with Eddie Jones. Boy, do they need our help. Now, I'm sure that Daryl Mitchell knowing that his father was there cheering him on, would have been hugely encouraged to know that his dad had come all the way to Abu Dhabi to watch him play. At the post-match interview, this is what Daryl Mitchell said, I'm sure that dad hated being on the big screen, but it was really cool, obviously, to have dad there. With what's going on in the world at the moment, with COVID and all that sort of thing, it's pretty tough to travel. But he made the effort to come here. It was so nice to have the old man here, that's for sure. Now, we are eight days after Christmas, where we celebrated the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus, God's Son, who came to live amongst us, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of flesh. Only on a couple of occasions following his birth do we know about Jesus' formative years. For example, his presentation at the temple when he was eight days old with Anna and Simeon, um, Anna the prophetess and Simeon the priest, where he was prophesied over. Another occasion... We remember at the age of 12, um, he went into the temple in Jerusalem during a feast. And he sat there with the elders and the Pharisees and he listened to them. In fact, the scripture says this, 
he sat amongst the teachers listening and asking questions. And then the scriptures went on to say, and all who heard him were astonished by his understanding and his answers. We know, of course, that he worked in a carpenter shop with his dad. Those are some of the things we know about his early life. But today, as we begin this new year, 2022, we are focusing on the new start when he came into his ministry at the age of 30. We are focusing on that new start, the new start for Jesus. As his public life began, set aside from his private life. He had been in 30 years in obscurity, and now he was coming into public. And there, his heavenly Father was in the stand watching him at his baptism. This is my beloved son. He was right there in the stand, as it were. And during that time of baptism, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him and filled him. Now, this has massive implications for Jesus, and it has massive implications for us, particularly as we begin this new year. It's an opportunity to consider, do we need a new start? Do we need a new start in our journey with Christ? Today's message is the first in a little series of three that I'm doing on Into the New Year with Jesus. And today it's focusing on the Father's affirmation and encouragement of Jesus, which is freely available to you and I. It's a time to reflect on our own spirituality, a time to ask ourselves, and even to challenge each other how our walk with the Lord is going. Just like a cricket team, if the cricket team are not doing so well, they have to encourage one another. They've got to face up to facts. They've got to get alongside each other and encourage one another on. Even more so in the Christian life, we are to encourage one another, to encourage one another forward. That's why we need to meet together. And I want to ask the question is, what is God saying to you and to me today? As Jude says, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Our scriptures today give us some clues as to how we can be encouraged and built up. In the Old Testament that Elaine read, we heard about uh, the uh, prophet speaking on behalf of God to the Jewish people who were in exile. And he's reminding these people who've been carried away from their homeland that God created them and God has not forgotten them and God loves them. Despite 70 years away from their homeland and from the temple, God reassures them that they are incredibly special. But now, says the Lord, who, the, who created you, I, the Lord who created you and who formed you, O Israel, I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You're mine. I am your Lord. I'm your Savior. 
I am giving up nations for you because you're precious in my sight. I am going to honor you because I love you. That's what, in a sense, he was saying to the people of Israel. And some people may well ask, well, why did God allow the people of Israel to go into exile in the first place then? If he loved them, why did he let them go into exile? That's a very good question. The answer, of course, is that God's people had been unfaithful to their special call and privileges. And so God had punished them. Proverbs 3, 11, 12 says this, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. The punishment for the people of Israel was a sign of God's love. Not his hate. And so he goes on to say, I love you. I've redeemed you. I'm calling you back to your calling. Don't focus on the past. Focus on the present and what's about to happen. He says, don't remember the former things. Don't consider the things of old. Behold, I'm going to do a new thing. You will see it. It's springing forth now. I'll even make a road in the wilderness for you to give drink to my people, my chosen, because I formed you for myself that you might declare my praise. Brothers and sisters of Christ, when we are called to Christ, it's not just so that our sins can be forgiven and can live a quiet life. It's so that we might become a people of thanksgiving and praise, declaring God's love in our quiet moments, with those that we meet, not being afraid to speak about the Lord. That's what we're called to do. It's not a, Christianity isn't a private matter. It's a public declaration. God was reassuring them that a new start was about to happen. It was a fresh start, a fresh revelation of God, a fresh understanding of God's love. But they were to get ready for something. They were going to go home. He was reforming them to become the people who would declare his praises. His people were now to recover God's vision and purpose for their lives. And that's what we see in the gospel reading today. We see um, this reading from Mark some 500 years later. We see Jesus coming, and Jesus is the complete fulfillment of everything that God had intended the nation of Israel to be in one person. What Israel couldn't be, Jesus was to become. What Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles, Jesus was going to be a light to the whole world. I am the light of the world. As Jesus comes into his most public ministry after 30 years in a carpenter's shop, in the back of beyond, his life was about to change dramatically as he was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. And there came a voice from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus passing through water, a voice from heaven affirming him. Does that sound a little bit of an echo of what happened in the Old Testament to the spirit of Israel? To Israel? But added in this picture is a most important factor. It's the dimension that we must not miss. The heavens parting and the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus like a dove. From that point, Jesus' life was radically changed. From private to public. From homespun boy and young man to the most famous and talked about person in the nation. From working with wood to working with souls. He was the fully revived man full of the Holy Spirit. And it was only in the power of the Spirit that he was able to do his ministry. In his hometown, he declared a little bit later, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me too. Preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and so on. He was honoring the Holy Spirit of God. He was not saying, I'm Jesus, I can do all this by myself. He was saying, I need the Father's affirmation while I'm here on earth. I need the Spirit to do this work. Jesus was fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. And this is where I really want to finish today. This is what I want to bring to our attention. As we, bring, as we begin this new year, I want to ask us all here where we stand in relation to God's call on our lives to be a public people. To be God's chosen people. Notice what John the Baptist said. He said, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I can only do a natural thing. Only God can do the supernatural. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who renews and revives people. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings God's reassurance and assurance of his love. The Holy Spirit is the one who assures us that we are his children. You know, other than Christ's death on the cross and our forgiveness, the greatest gift that we can receive is the powerful, mighty Holy Spirit. We need to be completely immersed, completely filled, completely drowned, completely drenched in the Holy Spirit. And this is not just a one-off thing that happens in our life. It's a daily experience. You know, Paul says, I can be renewed every day in the Spirit. You know, 
We individually need to be filled with the Spirit. The church needs to be filled with the Spirit so that we can fulfill God's mission to be the proclaimers of God's Word. Um, This time last week, uh, Sue and I attended a Christmas Day service in Stanmore Bay. I wrote about this in my pastoral email this week. Um, We went there because the Presbyterian church was closed just before you asked me why we went to an Anglican church, but I have got Anglican roots. Anyway, so we went there, and we were greeted at the door by this um, elderly man who Sue recognized straight away as being a man called the Reverend Dr. Don Batley, who was quite a famous Anglican during the time of the charismatic renewal and brought a whole lot of new things into the church. You know, the whole summer wine festivals and things like that. Wonderful man of God who had a real calling. And, and he, at the end of the service, he said, look, come home. I want to give you a book. I've written a book called No Way Back. So we followed him through Stanmore Bay and we got to his house and he gave us this book. And I started to read it. And I was amazed. It was a history, if you like, of the Holy Spirit's renewal in New Zealand and in particular the Anglican Church during the 70s, 80s and 90s. Wonderful history. He actually got his doctorate partly writing this book. It's a very well-researched book. But I was especially impacted by a prayer that the Bishop of Auckland, the Reverend Gowing, prayed for himself and he encouraged all the churches in the Auckland Diocese to pray. And this was the prayer. Renew your church, O Lord, beginning with me. Renew your church, O Lord, beginning with me. At the Synod, uh, later that year, this is what he wrote about, this is what he said about the prayer. He said, this is an extremely important prayer for the church. For if the church is to be renewed, there must be renewal on the individual level. I must be renewed. There must be renew, a renewed love for our Lord, a new understanding of God and his mission, a new devotion to him. I must be honest before God and myself. And these are the honest questions. In what way is my Christianity just a formal, lifeless thing? How are my priorities? Where do they depart from those of our Lord? What part has mission in my life? Then he went on to say, I ask that these questions be pondered, not only in private, but they be considered in groups. Now, I'm not sure if the Reverend Bishop Gowing had a charismatic renewal in mind, but a great renewal broke out in the church in the 1970s and 80s, right across all denominations, in the Anglican Church, in the Presbyterian Church. The Holy Spirit came upon many people. There was new life. There were new ministries. There were new conversions. There was new hope. There was new confidence and a new sense of calling. That's what the Holy Spirit brings. So as we begin this new year, maybe we should take our eyes off the challenges of COVID 
and turn our eyes to the Lord and pray that prayer. Renew your church, O Lord, beginning with me. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and ask him to fill us afresh every day with the Holy Spirit. Wait for him. Don't rush. He is the spirit of renewal. Let's ask him for a greater understanding of God and his purposes. Let's ask him to lead us to become the church that he would have us be. A church that has a new love and passion for God. A church that has a new understanding of him. A church that has a new devotion to him. And a church that is on his mission. Amen. I'm just going to ask Tom and Ulla, just, and also in the lounge, there are some sheets there, just to bring something to you um, for your consideration. Um, if you'd like to just pass these round, it's kind of the wind-up, if you like, to the message. It's that quote of the bishops and some questions that you might like to take home, that you might like to consider and to be really honest with God. So often in our Christian lives, I know with myself it can become routine. Uh, Jesus wasn't a man of routine at all. He was a man of the Spirit. Where the Spirit led him, he would go. It's really interesting because after I'd read this quote of the bishops, I was saying to Sue, maybe I'd, I'd quite like to bring that into the service on Sunday. Um, and um, I went to the book and just opened it, hoping to find it, and it opened right on that page there. <laughs> so I kind of knew I need to bring this today. And these are some of the questions that I've put them up on the screen that I would invite you to ask of yourself. Is firstly, just to read his reflection. And honestly ask yourself, in what ways is my Christianity a formal, lifeless thing? Be honest. How are my priorities? Where do they depart from those of our Lord? What part has God's mission in my life? And if you dare to make that a prayer, pray that simple prayer. Renew your church, O Lord. Begin with me. And if you are in a small group, maybe as a small group, you could use this as a discussion and be honest and encourage one another. Let's just pause for a moment of quiet and then I'm going to pray. Privilege it is to receive your spirit. What a privilege. The Holy Spirit of God. And Lord, I'd want to pray certainly for myself and for our church. Renew your church, O Lord, and begin with me. Amen.